Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's a CEO, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. It's Brianna Gunn. How are you doing today, Brianna? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I'm originally from Washington State, and we did a lot of camping, fishing, hiking, outdoorsy kind of stuff. And... um and then competitive sports. We played. I played soccer. I swam. Um, I was on a cheerleading team. So I'm. I've always had a very competitive streak. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were fishing with the family and like I didn't get the biggest fish, I wanted to go try again. Like that wasn't good enough. <laughs> it was probably strange behavior for a five year old, but you know it worked. But yeah, that's kind of where I come from in my background. Was camping something that you always like wanted to do or was that something like your family did and then they got you into it and you just kind of fell in love with it and continued with it? You know, it's funny. I whined and complained so much about having to like sleep on the ground and like it, my, the tent was wet and there was always something. But it's so funny how retrospect gives us a different perspective because looking back, all I remember is are the campfires and um, you know, the cookouts and the fun stuff. And I remember the stuff that I whined about and like drove my parents nuts, obviously not, you know, complaining, but it's not the highlight. So, yeah. So we're actually um, in the process now because I have children of my own of looking into like campers and things because my poor husband, he doesn't mind sleeping on the ground. The rest of us do. <laughs> See, I remember camping when I was younger. And the only time I really remember is we were at my dad's friend's house and it just started pouring and we're just stuck in the tent. And I'm like, I ain't doing this again. And then the next time we did an RV and I'm like, can we just do this forever? Like, let's stick with the RV. But I think it's one of those things like when I get older, have kids, it's like, I'll teach them the tent way so they can experience it. And then try the RV so they get both viewpoints. So right. I think you kind of remember it. It's like that bonding experience. You remember the positives from it, but as much as it, at the time, it was kind of like, can we have a bed? Can I sleep comfortably? Well, and then on top of that, when you're dealing with putting up a tent, you've got to put up the tent, yeah. <laughs> down the tent, whereas an RV, you pull it in, you park it, you level it, and you're good. Yeah, <laughs> saves so much time. When you were doing competitive sports, was there something that you learned about yourself doing it? I don't like to lose. You talked I, about the competitive part. I, I I didn't realize how competitive I was until I looked back and started like examining how intense I get when I'm when I'm competing, which is why I don't compete anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it can get it, it you know it's. Yes, there's winners and losers. And, you know, my parents um, taught me always to be a good, a good sport, regardless of whether you win or lose. But obviously, it's a heck of a lot easier to be a good sport when you're winning. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were times when, you know, we got our tails beat off in um, soccer and didn't want to, um, you know, didn't want to go high five the other team, didn't want to talk to them, didn't want to. And, you know, my dad was like, no, like, this is part of it. You don't get to pitch a fit and run away just because it didn't go your way today. And so I think that, I think that was the biggest thing I learned about myself was that I'm, I'm hyper competitive when I get something. And I was not even that good to be completely honest, 
but you know, you catch that first win and you want more of it. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding that sometimes sports can just be for fun and that the competitiveness can draw into other things as well. Was there ever a time that when you did lose that you kind of were embarrassed on your behavior or was it more that your parents kind of caught you before it could get even worse? I was really lucky in that my dad coached. So there was, I was the kid who was running laps around the field because I sassed. (laughs) He would literally look at me and he'd be like, laps now. And the rest of the team would just look at me and go, you know as I'm like huffing and puffing around the around the soccer field um but I you know as like my parents always had a very open communication system with us and so like when we get disappointed we could talk about it and so I never I don't ever remember acting out because we lost I remember being sad I remember crying I remember those moments but I don't remember like pitching a fit or you know kicking anything or act like physically acting out it was more except for when I quit ballet than I actually like pitched a giant fit. What happened in that situation? So I, I wanted to go on point and my doctor didn't want me to because I'm just not built for I, like dancing's really fun. I'm not built for it. I don't have a ballerina's body. That's fine. Um, but he was really worried that it would, com- it would completely change the way that my bone structure was forming. And because I was never going to do it professionally, he really didn't want me on point. And so my mom pulled me out of dance and I lost it like full on meltdown middle of everywhere. And I was, I was 12, 13, definitely old enough to know better. Was was ballet something that you were hoping to do like long-term and that's kind of where that like being upset kind of came in? I think it was one of those things where, I never conquered it. Like I got pretty good at soccer. I got pretty good at swim. I got pretty good at cheer. Ballet was one of those things that was always a challenge for me. I was never, my turnout was never quite good enough. And like, I, you know, my, I couldn't, I couldn't do a full split. Like I was, I wasn't built for that type of activity, but I thought ballerinas were beautiful and pretty and, you know, you may, if maybe if you wish hard enough, you'll, that'll happen for you. And I think it was a moment where, where the real world collided with my dream world mm-hmm. and I didn't handle it very well. And granted I was, you know, like 11, 12, so 12 or 12, 13, like I was preteen. So of course there's a lot of extra emotions in there and hormones and other things going on. Um, but that's the only time I really remember getting really frustrated and upset when something didn't go my way. And I, and I, effectively lost because you know when the parents paying the bill and they aren't (laughs) going to pay the bill anymore you don't get to go anymore (laughs) after leaving ballet was there something that you kind of put your mind to and kind of helped you get on that track that you're looking for um I actually started um acting and did did some theater stuff and I got into right after that I got into bands and choir and so I kept I, I replaced the activity with other activities Um, and I think, you know, when you're younger and in your, your, in your youth, trying a myriad of different things is a really healthy way to figure out what you enjoy. Like my oldest son, um, I really wanted him to play an instrument like desperately badly. I'm like, you can play the flute. I have a flute. It's a very nice flute. He's like, I'm a boy. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I know lots of boy flute players. And he's like, that's fine. I don't want to play the flute. I'm like, well, what instrument do you want to play? He's like, the drums. I'm like, well, you can't play the drums because they're all taken. And he's like, well, I don't want to be in band then. And my heart just broke. Oh. Like, I was, because I was a band geek and I have such good memories of being in band. And I was like, I wanted him to have that community and that sense of discipline and the rhythm and all of the other benefits that come from playing an instrument. And so my husband being the, the mediator that he is was like, what if he played guitar? And my brain was like, that's not even an option. He, that's not an instrument that's in marching band, marching band, is <laughs> you know, and I went off on this little thing and, and, you know, after the kids went to bed, we were talking, he's like, why are you so hung up? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, but I think those things that make big impressions on us when we're younger, those activities that we, when we are filling our time, just trying to figure out what we're really, really good at. Um, when we do find the thing that we're good at, because I was really good at playing the flute and I was really good at um, flags and rifles and color guard. When we find that thing that is fun and not easy, but comes to us easier than other things, mm-hmm. like the love you have for it never really goes away. Like I still get so excited. We live in a college town. I get still get so excited when the marching band marches onto the field in the middle of a football game. I'm just like, Oh my God. And my husband's just sitting there going, I I don't know her. (laughs) She's not with us (laughs) because I'm freaking out. You know, it's, it's yeah. I think, I think finding those activities is really important. I will say band. I was in band also. I played the French horn and it was was just something like you said, it comes like natural. And it was like, I didn't want, I kind of picked the random instrument. I'm like, what's the weirdest instrument that probably could annoy my parents because I'm playing so loud. And I mean, I could have picked the trumpet, but everyone was doing the trumpet. I wanted to do something that no one was doing. So I picked this instrument and every single time, every year, there was maybe one or two of us. And I was like, this is perfect. I don't, I'm in the French horn's one of those instruments that you don't really have a solo in songs. Maybe like there's one song I remember we did, but you kind of hide in the back and you're never called on for anything. But I loved it because you kind of have those background melody music and it was just fun. And I look back at it and I'm like, Oh, I enjoyed it. And I think it just helped me follow a passion with music. And like, every time I'm listening to music nowadays, you kind of like enjoy it and you remember the good times in band. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there I were. still can't listen to Eye of the Tiger, but that's okay. <laughs> you mentioned the boy, the guys being flute players. I think I had like 10 guys that were flute players in my classes. So yeah. That was just funny. But it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't do like that all day because I would be like I need like the rock and roll parts like the loud noise and stuff (laughs) that's why I did jazz choir and so I got to float between choir and band oh so I would I would start my day with jazz choir and then go into you know concert band but then every like basically two days a week or three days a week depending on where it landed Mm -hmm. I was either I was in um our choir so I got to float back and forth. So there was never really an opportunity for me to get bored. Mm-hmm. I just had to remember where I was supposed to show up, <laughs> which is always a challenge. Growing up, did you have any motivations or inspirations? Someone that you looked up to, someone that helped you get to where you wanted to go? You know, it's cheesy. Um, but my dad 
was an entrepreneur. And, you know, when I had trouble with math, he taught me accounting. When I didn't understand geometry, he, he owned a construction company. So he took me out to the site and showed me actual culverts. And I was like, this is what a cylinder is. This is how it's applied in real life so that my brain could process the very abstract things that I was trying to learn and put them into and slot them into a logical place in the world where I was like, okay, that makes sense. It's a cylinder. Great. Okay. It's a sphere. Cool. That's why that, that's, you know, I, I remember, um, this, my dad taught me when I was probably four or five, that the circumference of a circle is pi times the radius squared. <laughs> and I will never forget being, <coughs> excuse me. I will never forget being in geometry and her teaching us that and me going like light bulb moment going, I know this. That's awesome. Yeah. We're all geeks, but yeah, I, I would say my dad, he, his work ethic, <coughs> excuse me, his work ethic, his ability to give back to the community. And, you know, he always wanted us involved in the business so we could learn, you know, payroll. Mm of all the things and, you know, staffing and hiring and firing. And it was a really interesting education growing up, but looking back because I'm an entrepreneur now, I have, I feel like I have such a leg up because I had that. Was that always your dream job to be an entrepreneur, to be in the business world, or did you end up following a different path when you went into college or after school? So I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. And I got my pre-law degree, got LSATs, got everything ready to go to law school, started working at a law firm and realized I don't want to be a lawyer. Why is that? I wanted to do the research and find the bad guy and like stick it to the bad guy. Like whether it was, I worked in a divorce firm for a family attorney. So the bad guy was like the other party. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have big dreams of being a prosecutor and criminal law and putting the bad guys away. And I grew up in Washington State who, you know, we produced a lot of really bad people. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Ted Bundy, Green River Killer, I-5 Killer. Like, I wanted to put those people behind bars. And I realized that the attorneys aren't the ones doing the research. They're not the ones putting together the briefs and the pleadings. It's the paralegals. It's the legal assistants. And so I, I was like, well, I'll do that instead. And I loved it. I just didn't love working at the divorce firm because it's a lot more therapist than researcher because the people that are coming in, their lives are falling apart. And well, I can, I have a, I I have a psych minor. I can play, I can, I can sympathize and empathize and I understand, you know, states of mind and that kind of thing. It's fine. I'm not a psychologist or therapist, Um, but being able to leverage those skills was helpful but when I looked at where my life was going at home, I was, I got pregnant, was going to have a child and my husband had gotten a really great job. And I looked at where my life was career wise, the two didn't match. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I had to do something different. So I had this degree that I really wasn't going to use unless I could find a job at like a corporate firm downtown. Cause I was living in Houston at the time, which would have been a big drive or I could, you know, take maternity leave and figure it out, take the six, eight weeks that I was going to be given and, and figure it out. And 
um, in the interim, my mom ended up sending me an article out of Real Simple Magazine. And I will never forget it. It was for a website called Hire My Mom. And I was like, that's totally a scam. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I was like, but I was desperate. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm like, I'm going to go look. And I found my first gig. Wow. And I was like, this is cool. I like this. I could be a stay-at-home mom and work and feel like I contributed, you know, have spending money, not not be like beholden to anybody. And I was like, this is cool. And so it was just a side hustle for a while. And then it became a whole business. So do you feel if you didn't start out in that family attorney off or the divorce family attorney office that maybe you would f- feel that passion within the legal system or working in the legal field? Or do you think that path and learning about that being there kind of helped you be able to find your next passion or something that you were passionate about? It's a really good question. Um, you know, I think I would have come to the same conclusion, maybe not as quickly. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really amazing firms out there and there's a lot of firms that really aren't. I happen to work for some really incredible people who are not only fantastic attorneys, but they're, they're just genuinely good people. Um, but I've interviewed at a number of firms and I had a number of offers that I turned down because, you know, when you get asked, if we ask you to stay until eight o'clock at night to finish a brief, would you? And the expected answer is yes. Yeah. Would you show up at 5 a.m. to interview a client and and still you're making the 40-hour salary and you're not getting paid overtime? It just, it doesn't jive well with, with how I wanted to run my, like I, I realized I would never see my kids. And, you know, I have friends who are attorneys and they have a great work-life balance. Um, I'm a workaholic. So it's beneficial for me to be at home because mm-hmm. it's, you know, as we're doing this interview, it's eight o'clock at night right now. My kids are on their way to bed. I got to read, you know, some weird treehouse book in Titanic. I don't even know. Um, with my seven-year-old and, you know, spend some time with them. Whereas if I was working at a law firm, I might just be getting home and they're already in bed. This might be pushing it, but Think about if your, your kids were now the age and you were at that firm, would that change your opinion? Because you talked about your kids were young at the time so that you wanted to be home, spend the quality time because you want to make sure that they are in, go, getting fed, taking all the, taking care of stuff, or would it be okay now to be able to do that? Because if it's late at night, they, un, they would understand a lot more. They would be a lot more understanding. I still working nights and weekends doesn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would it would have run its course where I was like, okay, I'm I'm a little bored with this. Like I'm, it's wearing on me. It's the stress of it or whatever it was. But realistically, I think that like it's funny you mentioned that because my husband and I have talked about me going back to law school and getting my degree and then working at like the legal aid clinic or something and. I, I think, I, like, I think it would be fun. I don't think I'm ready to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not off the table at some point, but 
it's one of those, those passions that like occasionally I get really excited if like an attorney hires me to write a brief or something. So I'm like, Ooh, I get to put <laughs> cool. um, but it's, it's more of, it's, it's more like, you know, we were talking about sports and, and competitiveness. It's, it's law is like ballet for me. It's something that I am good at. I'm very good at research. I'm, I'm very good at finding what I need. I'm very good at writing, but it, it's, it's, it's ballet where, you know, what I do now is marching band. Okay. Yeah. I think when this is the the first time I emailed you and I got that response right away and it says, Oh, I don't work after certain time. I don't work on the weekends. I'll get to you. I think it shows a lot in you that you kind of be able to balance work and personal life. And I think a lot of people sometimes with families, they focus so much on that work and they kind of lose out. And then those kids kind of suffer because they don't get to spend that quality time. And sometimes they're at those age where they need that bonding time because those are the big moments that they're going to have. So kind of shows in your passion or the passion you have that your family is important to you, but you're able to continue to do your passion with work at the same time. Yeah. And I actually, it's funny that autoresponder I put in place to, to check myself. Because I have that, I have that, that competitive desire that need to be the best, that need to always be on top of it. And, and that can be a hindrance when you do work from, I mean, I'm in my basement right now. You know, I'm, my kids are upstairs. Like it's not a super long stretch for me to walk upstairs and like go to bed or get a, get lunch. But I found that without checks and balances, I was not actually shutting anything off. I was on my phone checking email, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, I would wake up at two in the morning and check email. I would, you know, come downstairs and work. And so I set up that autoresponder so that I could gut check myself and say, these are my working hours. And then it was just a a reminder. And then I, I never stopped. I never turned it off because it's such a good reminder for me. I'm like, I, one, I know people are getting a response, so they're not reading Two it reinforces that I have boundaries so that you're not surprised when I don't jump, you know, the minute you say go and three, it's a good reminder to myself that, you know, like I made an exception tonight cause I really wanted to, to talk to you. And I think your podcast is awesome. Thank you. And um, you know, so it's eight o'clock at night when I normally end up working at four, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, but as long as they're the exception and not the rule, I think that, that it all balances out. So talk about that career that you're the kind of the site that your mom sent you talk about that experience and how long were you there for, or what were you doing there? So the hire my mom website, um, which is still around today. It's, it's been upgraded quite a ways there there. It's got some really awesome features, but the way the premise was, it was like an, it's like an online, um, what do you call it? Um, advertising, like, I, I want to say yellow pages, but that's not right. Um, it's an online forum for, you know, business owners can go and say, Hey, I'm looking for this kind of a person. Hey, I, you know, I, this is my budget. These are the hours, this is everything. And then as a contractor or a subcontractor, you can go in and you can apply for, you can submit your resume and your cover letter and whatever forms or questions that they want you to fill out and apply for jobs. And initially I, I think it was like 
think it was like 20, 30 bucks a month. It wasn't a huge expense. So I bought the membership. Um, and I applied for one position and got an interview and they didn't hire me. They went, they let me know they went with someone with more experience. And a month later they called me and said, would you still like to come work for us? Because that sucked. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like I would love to. And I worked with them for five years. And I discovered that the way I wanted to do business was different than the way other online copywriters and marketers and virtual assistants were were operating at the time. Um, At the time, this is, you know, 11, 12 years ago, you would be like, you know, hey, Brie, I need this. I need this sales page done. Great. I'm putting you your number 12 in the queue. That'll be done in two weeks which is fine. And there are still people that operate that way. I don't, I have, you know, if you, if, if we, if we have a contract going and I, I, you know, promised you copy your content, you're going to have it within 14 days, mm-hmm. usually less. So like, you know, if you get, if you tell me on Wednesday, you want something, you'll have it within a week. Typically I give my, I mean, I realize I just gave myself like 14 days and an example it was 14 days. Um, <laughs> but, um, Everybody ignore that fact. It's late. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the experience of the, being handheld versus being stuck as a number in a queue, I think, is what really changed that, the the feel of, of the relationship for them and knowing that they could say, hey, Brie, we need a newsletter. Hey, Brie, we need this. Hey, Brie, we need this. And, I, and I'd be like, yep, I'm on it. And I would have it done with them, you know, by the end of the week, by the middle of next week. And I got really good at judging how long it actually takes me to complete certain things. So I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and now I can say, okay, I know a sales page is going to take me X number of hours. I know these sales emails are going to take me X number. So I can budget my time better and, and be more effective and efficient for my clients. Um, but you know, if it hadn't been for hire my mom, I don't know that I would have set my business up the way I did because of that experience, because they were like, that was awful and of course I asked, you know, what was awful about it? And they shared, um, but it really, it made me want to do it differently. And I think I've approached building my business from that perspective from day one, because I, I don't want to be just good. I want to be great. Mm-hmm. Were you always planning to own your own business when you had this job? Kind of like similar to your dad was an entrepreneur at the same time. I, I would always tell people like I work from home, you know, I, I answer emails for people or I write emails for people or I write blog posts or whatever. Um, but I don't think it ever occurred to me that it could actually be a business until about three years ago. Why is that? Cause I looked at myself as a mom first and and the business was, it was a business and it was generating income and it was making a full-time income. And it, you know, it wouldn't have made sense for me to go back to a nine to five or a corporate position, but I don't think I really, I, I don't think my brain really registered that it could be more than just project-based stuff that it could actually be a company that it could actually have, you know, people who are counting on me. Um, I don't use employees. We use, I use contractors, but I have contractors with exclusive contracts. Um, 
And when I shifted my perspective and I started looking at like, I could scale this, I could actually scale this to a million dollars. I could actually scale this beyond that. Like that, it just, it changes the way you look at it. It, it goes from being a, okay, I have X number of client work and da, 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 to, okay, this is the client work. This is what's coming on, coming up. This is what, you know, and you start to, you start to put the puzzle together differently and you start to reorganize the way you think about it. And I, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's interesting to me to look at it and go, you know, three years ago, I, yes, I work from home, but I would have said I work part-time. I wouldn't have said I was a, I was a full-time entrepreneur. It would have been more of a side hustle. So I could like take my kids to art in the park and do fun things. Whereas now it's like, this is my business. And I am the figurehead. My actually, uh, my magazine actually, um, was just published this week. So there's a lot more you can do when you start looking at it as a business than a side hustle or, you know, not the main focus. When you had those thoughts about, oh, I don't know if I can make this a business, a part-time, a side hustle, was your husband supportive in having you focus on that to be able to make it a business? Or did you worry that, I don't know how I'm going to help out around the hat or like with bills and stuff financially, things like that? That's never been a concern for us. Um, my husband's, I've known him since we were 15 years old. He's been my best friend for as long. Um, he's always been incredibly supportive because he knows that when I'm busy, I'm happy. And he'd much rather have me be happy than miserable. <laughs> um, you know, and we, we've balanced the chore. Like he helps out around the house a lot more than, you know, than, you know, he's upstairs doing dishes right now. I can hear him. Uh, but he, you know, it's, he really does a good job of trying to, you know, like he won't touch the laundry because he's shrunk enough of my sweaters that I told him like the next time is going to be the last time. And we like being married. So he's like, okay, I won't do that anymore. Um, you know, but we, we do, we do divvy up the chores and the kids are old enough to help out too. They're responsible for their own bedrooms. They're responsible for cleaning their bathroom. They're responsible for for the dishes. Um, so that helps, but you know, I'm not going to lie. It's a whole lot easier if you can hire a housekeeper. That, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any personal challenges that you went through with the business, personal life, things that kind of challenged you and helped you grow as an individual? You know, my son, um, who's 11 now, my oldest got very, very ill, um, about five years ago and I wasn't sure we were going to make it through. He had an 80% chance. He was, he was given an an 85, an 80% chance of survival. And I was pregnant with my second child, which I know you can't really sympathize with, but I had, you know, a business I was running and a baby coming and this kid who was you know, sick enough to get on the make a wish list. And I had to make a really hard choice and I shut my business down. And I called my clients and I said, listen, I'm in the hospital in the ICU with, with Calvin, who's my son. And I hate to leave you in a lurch, but I I have to pick. Mm -hmm. And I picked. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. And a lot of people don't understand that. And that's okay. Um, and, you know, I had 
and still have incredible client relationships. And I mean, we're talking to people who are like, you just let us know when you're ready to come back. Like we're going to hire temporary help because we can't, we don't have a choice, but when you're ready to come back, you tell us and we will get you, we will make sure that your position is still here for you. You know, there was never, I was never, and if they hadn't, that's okay too. Um, but they, everyone went out of their way to make me feel like this wasn't the end, if that makes sense. And if it was, then, then that it was a fun ride and that that's great. But, um, I learned a lot about myself and my boundaries and my limits and my need for sleep and my, you know, how much stress I could really handle and what, you know, what I thought was stress is cake, mm-hmm. you know, that I, I would not wish that experience on my worst enemy. Um, but because of it, my business is stronger because I knew what I wanted to do differently. So that if I did have to step away again, I would have a plan in place. So I didn't have to call everybody and be like, I'm sorry, you don't get your work. (laughs) Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was set up so that if I did have to step away from my business, I could, and now I can, um, you know, and it made me appreciate family because, you know, we didn't, we didn't come through it unscathed by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but it forced us to communicate at a whole other level. You know, when you're having to flush your kid's pick line because it goes directly into his heart and you can't screw that up. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have very, very real conversations when the medication, when too much of the medication could be toxic, you have to know exactly what was dosed and when and how. And I mean, we got organized on a whole other level. I had like charts of every week we had a chart and it would like, you had to sign off which meds he got and when and what time and who administered them. And you know, it, it pushed me in, in a really, really different direction than I thought I was going to go. But I think I came out of it stronger. I know my family came out of it stronger and I think my business came out of it stronger. So I think overall, although, like I said, I, I would not, I would not wish to repeat it. Um, I think that without that, I would probably be in a very different place. Were you shocked that your clients had that kind of attitude and support for you and that they wanted what was best for you and they understood why you had to make those hard decisions? I think I was at the time, but I couldn't process it. And then looking back, they're just really good people. I I tend to work with people who have a heart versus not, because um, that's not something you can hide for very long. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you figure out, oh, you're one of those people. Okay. (laughs) And we're done. Um, And, you know, I just weed those people out so that I can work with the ones that, that are, you know, excited, excited for your successes and want you to be healthy and happy and who understand that family does come first. How is your son doing? Is he still going through those things or is he doing a lot better? He is in remission completely. He's been in remission for, gosh, four and a half, five years. Um, his chance of relapse are less than 5%. So he's, 
he still has to go see the doctor every three months, but he's a totally normal sixth grader, wow. which is just phenomenal. It kind of just shows he's kind of like our, our logo is a Phoenix. He kind of had that Phoenix moment where he was rising to the challenge. That's with Phoenixes, which is really funny. <laughs> Him and I could be friends because I, I, Phoenix means a lot to me because so I you also like anime because if so, then I should probably leave and I'll go get him. No, unfortunately not. I mean, me the either. Only, I only watched like one anime when I was younger, but I'm not obsessed with it. Like people are like how big the culture for anime has gotten. Oh yeah, now. it's huge. I mean, people start naming shows. I'm like, hold on, what? I didn't I didn't say that again. Like I haven't even heard. And then I see clips. I'm like, I can see why you can get addicted to this. Yeah, he's he's really into um we found some little anime books that are like age appropriate. And he's just devouring them, which is great because he's reading. Yeah. But he he tries to talk to me about them. And I like just <laughs> nod and smile and my eyes glaze over. And I'm, I finally have to be like, I love you so much. But you know what I don't love? Anime. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at me and he's like, you're really mean. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> my mom does the same. I'll just start talking about top. She goes, mm-hmm. And then go, were you even listening to me? She goes, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. She's like, I love you, but I don't love this. Uh, yeah, I'm like, we don't have the same likes on that. So I totally understand. <laughs> when did you want to become a speaker? How did you find that passion? What is your main mission when you're speaking with an audience? I became a speaker by accident. I got nominated <laughs> by a friend who was like, I need someone to speak for me at this conference. Can you come? And I was like, I, I can. And I had so much fun because I love to educate. And so my primary objective when I'm speaking is always to educate, whether I'm talking about copywriting or funnels or telling my son's story. I want to, I want people to leave with tangible takeaways that are implementable in their life. Whether it's saying, you know, when your friend goes through that really huge health crisis, when they have cancer, when, you know, their kid is sick, don't ask them what they need because they don't know. Mm -hmm. Be the one to set up the meal train. Be the one to um, come over and say, I am doing your dishes. Don't ask. Tell them what you're going to do because they may object slightly, but I guarantee you they are going to be so incredibly grateful that you are their friend. Because nobody, when you're in crisis, nobody has the bandwidth to say, oh, well, actually, I need you to go to the grocery store. And here's a list. Nobody, no. When you're in crisis, you're, you're like, crap, there's no food in the fridge. Now what? Because you can't even fathom ordering out. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, with, with my business, the business side, you know, talking about funnels and how funnels isn't a dirty word and everyone should have one and why they're important and how they educate and entertain and build trust so that you can actually sell the thing you want to sell. Um, you know, and, you know, with copywriting, how it's, how it's about the reader, not about the author, you know, what makes great copy is that you get sucked in. And, you know, so it's always, the, the goal is always to educate and make sure that I leave that room better than I found it. 
Is there a gig or a conference or an event that you did that has been memorable or something that it stands out and you will remember it for years on out? Not off the top of my head. Act, no, actually, like, <laughs> um, I, I wasn't speaking. I was attending, but I sat at a table with um, some pretty big names and I opened my mouth and I said, I'm going to go live every day through the end of the year. <laughs> and then I choked. Um, no, and I did. And because I don't know if you know who Darren Rouse is. Um, he's, he's pro blogger. He's um, in my world. He's a pretty big deal. And I was like, I just said this in front of someone who has literally 10 million followers. Oh, <laughs> crap. Um. But I did it and it, I, you know, I burned myself out, but, and I, I would never push myself that hard again, I don't think, but I will, I will never, ever forget that I blurted it out. And I, it's one of those things where I'm like, can I grab those words and put them back? <laughs> Cause I didn't mean that. When you said live, is it like Facebook live? So- yeah. Like Facebook, social media. Facebook live every single day. Man, I see, I would, if I, if I did this show every single day, I would be like, do I have a personal life at all? Because I work and then I come and do this and it's like, yeah, I couldn't do that. So I could understand, but I think at the, I think you kind of said it, you look at the end result and you kind of say, I'm proud that I was able to do it. Or at least I said those words and I was able to keep up with the effort that I wanted to, or, um, do or like perform at it right like I you know I'm glad I did it I would never do it again but it got me over my fear of going live it got me over my fear of being on screen and on film and talking to a one-way mirror basically yep you know do I still do I absolutely like jump up and down with joy every time I'm like I should go live no I hate it (laughs) but I do it anyway because I understand the value behind it because I saw my followers increase I saw my traffic increase I saw the things moving in the direction I wanted them to move in. So I, you know, it was a good experiment. Is it easier for you to talk to people actually in front of you than on a screen that you don't know who's even watching? Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's, I, um, I have ADHD, so it's really hard for me to track like, like the comments and talking. So I'm one of those people. If I'm on a live, I'll be like, just a second guys reading the comments. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, you know, because I, I, my brain doesn't work in a way that makes it conducive to being like, you know, oh, you know, Susie's asking this. I'm like, hold on. I have to stop the train and now I have to look and read and then I can go back and and the dang things move. And I don't know. I'm old. I mean, if you're able to do that, you can be a streamer nowadays because they're always looking at this screen. They're playing it at the same time. And I'm like, how? I mean, I'm looking at their chat and it's just going like miles a minute. Oh, it's insane. My son watches some of the, like the YouTubers and stuff that play Minecraft and whatnot. And it gives me a headache just to watch it. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I, I, I have some PTSD there because I literally, every time that's on, like on the television and he's watching, I'm like, my head hurts. Why does my head hurt? <laughs> and then I realize like he's watching the Twitch stream and I'm like, oh, that's why. When you were doing these speaking gigs, is that, mm-hmm. were you thinking about being a coach or did the coaching come from 
out of nowhere, like speaking came out of nowhere. It really, you know, it's one of those things where it really came out of kind of left field and that I was not ever planning on being a coach. But people kept asking me if I would help them with this or if I would help them with that or if I had advice about this. And so I was like, well, maybe I was like, I'll just offer it to somebody. And they said, yes. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Okay. And so what I do is more consulting, I think, because Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I'm not going to be over here and do your raw, raw cheerleader. I'm I'm going to help (laughs) you with like the grounded answers. And if I don't know, I don't know, but I can at least be like, this is a direction we should look in. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think the copy is still my mainstay, but there's a lot of people who want to do what I do. And so I, I help them build their businesses in that way. Looking at your journey, do you feel that the path that you've taken career wise, at least this is the direction that you're proud of, or would you change anything or would you have gone in a different direction? This is not going to be a popular opinion, but I probably would not have gotten my, my bachelor's degree. Why is that? Because I don't use it. That's yeah, that's understandable. It's, it's a really expensive piece of paper. Yes. And I, you know, my husband has a PhD and he uses it every day. I am not in a field where I need to have business law and psych 101 and business admin courses. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt. And I probably would still have taken some of those classes, but I maybe would have stopped at an associate's degree, Mm -hmm. you know, so I could have the business background and the economics and and those pieces of the the foundational pieces of the business stuff. But, but yeah, I probably would not have completed a bachelor's. I look at that same thing. I w- I'm a sports management major and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get out of college. I'm going to find something at least in the sports industry, sports field. I'm not even in that. I'm in gaming technology, doing marketing and stuff. And I look and I'm like, okay, I went to college for this. And then the direction that they make you go, it's not what I wanted to do. And I look, I'm like, okay, I enjoyed my time, but I really didn't need any of that. But mm-hmm. I look at it, it's like, I, at least I went, I got the knowledge and I had the experience, but I think it's just a lot of people nowadays. And I've had guests say the same thing that they would have not done the, or not get their bachelor's because of that same thing. They're not in the field that they wanted to be in. And that's the hard part about it. But I think we all have that, sometimes that path that we go in, but no, I totally understand. Would you, if legal wasn't that way, what would you have picked as an associate then? I probably would have just done general business. Um, if I had the hindsight of knowing what I know now. Yeah. You know, if I had to pick right out of high school, I would have been a theater major. Of course, because <laughs> that's practical. Um, but, you know, if I had the benefit of hindsight, I probably would have just stopped with the business classes and and finished there. So I have to ask, because I see it all on your wall. I see a lot of like Mickey Mouse, Yeah, I guess Disney. Looking, is that something that you take part with your family and you build that experience because you're able to balance the work and family relationship? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I do Disney trips solo and with my family. I actually <laughs> just got back from Disney. 
um, on a solo trip and I'm taking the family in a couple months. Um, so we, we try to go, um, the kids love it. I am, I absolutely love it. Obviously I have my Mickey ears and my magic bands and my Simba popcorn holder and all that good stuff. Um, but I think, I think it's important to still have fun. And mm-hmm. Disney's one of those places where I can relax, which say, seems counterintuitive when you think about the crowds and standing in line and everything else. But it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, some people meditate. I go to Disney. But Disney is relaxed. Even if you're staying in those lines, you're not thinking about work. Or right. Anything. You're just you're enjoying the queue. You're just enjoying it. I mean, mm-hmm. I will stand in a line instead of being in a five hour meeting and like at home. So I totally. Right. And at least, because at least the line is moving. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when you go on those solo trips, what is the main mission you're trying to get out of it? You talked about the re- relaxation, but when you, instead of going with your family, you go solo. What are you hoping to accomplish on those solo trips? Usually it's to decompress. It's so that I can, you know, see the screaming child and walk away and not have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> and I've done that frequently. In fact, the last time I was down there, I, there was a mom and she was just like, her toddler's having a massive like meltdown of epic proportions. And she's also having a meltdown and she looks up and she's like, just tears streaming mascara is gone and I'm like you're actually doing a really great job and she's like really (laughs) (laughs) yeah you really are um you know and it's it recharges my batteries so to speak and it allows me to get back into that kid a creative energy and as someone who is is a creative for my business it's really important that I'm able to maintain that creative energy because without it I can't write my clients blog posts I can't write emails I can't write sales pages I can't do any of the things that I do um and so I I really do try to do something to get away and you know unplug every quarter or so I wish I could do that just take a trip every quarter do all that (laughs) get there what do you hope for the future for you personally and professionally what are you hoping to accomplish I would really like to get back on my skates. Um, I broke my leg playing or playing practicing roller derby um, about four years ago. And I've not had skates on in a hot minute. And I really want to get back on my skates um, personally, professionally. I, I want to keep building what I've been building. It's been really, really fun. I'm very fascinated. How did you get into roller derby? Um, there was a Groupon involved, <laughs> um, but truly there was a Groupon involved. It was like, it was like 10 bucks for 30, 30 days of roller derby classes. And my girlfriend and I were like, that would be a fun way to get in shape. Cause we both skated when we were younger. And suddenly I'm learning how to hit people and block people <laughs> and stop and jump and turn and do all these things that I'm not coordinated at at all. Um, and it was, it was the most fun I've probably ever had. (laughs) Mom's just going out to play some roller derby, just throwing elbows every single night. (laughs) I used to bring my boys with me to practice. And so they'd go hang out with the kids and then we'd all be on the track practicing and our kids would be like running around as we're skating around in a circle, you know, really, really fast. We're like, slow down, don't run in here. Stop (laughs) it. Uh, You know, as, and 
you know, we're doing the exact same thing. So. Well, you talked about with ballet and doing that kind of um, activity. Did that kind of help at all with roller derby or was it? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I'm thinking like, it's gotta be the coordination. Cause you're on, like, I I've seen those ballet shoes. They're I guess the blocks that are in them. Yeah. The, the paper mache. Yeah. So I was thinking that's got to work in your favor. Yeah. I, I was never super, sadly, I was never super coordinated. Um, but I was a good blocker. I could stay in one place and, and get low enough. And I had good enough balance that I could stop people from getting through the pack. And that's what really mattered. Um but yeah, I think, I think between all the sports I played leading up to that helped, you know, with your endurance, with your athleticism, with um, team work and team building and all of those pieces. It's funny how things like slot together when they're supposed to. No injuries at all during your Other than a broken leg. No broken leg. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I wish I could say I was like on the track and got hit. No, no, no. I was at practice and I was goofing around on my toe stops <laughs> and um, my leg went one way and my butt went the other way and I heard a snap and that was the end of it. Oh yeah. My husband oh. was not happy because we had a Disney trip the next week. Oh, did you still go on it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was my son's make a wish trip actually. And so he had me and the wish kid and my 18 month old and me in a scooter and poor guy had never been to Disney world before. I'd never been like, that's not his jam at all. And he was not happy. He handled it like a champ, but we got home and he's like, never again. Oh, oh poor kid. Yeah. <laughs> the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Say yes, whenever it makes sense, but don't say yes to everything. You know, when you're, when you're given an opportunity to learn a new tool or take on a new role or step into something, a new container take it. Mm -hmm. If it makes sense, if you have hesitation and it's valid hesitation, meaning you're going to physically get hurt, mentally get hurt. Um, it's going to cost you, you know, a boatload of money that you don't have then you know, say no. But for the most part, I got to where I am because I was not afraid to say yes to opportunities as they were presented. When someone was like, Hey, do you want to learn this new software? I said, yes. Hey, do you want to write this for us? I said, yes. Hey, would you be willing to check email? Yes. And do I do all of those things now? No, I, I'm at a point where I know what I'm really, really good at. And I know what I really, really hate. And I was able to take the things that I don't like, or I hate off my plate. So I can just do the things that light me up. And I realized that not everybody has that ability, but I do believe that whether you're working, working for yourself or working in corporate, if you take the opportunities as they're handed to you and as they make sense and as it's safe for you to do, you have no idea where the trajectory, I swear I can talk, the trajectory (laughs) is going to take you. Um, You know, I look at where I've been in the last 11 years and I sure did not think I was going to be here. And, but I also would not change the journey for the world. So don't be afraid of new opportunities. Say yes, when you can, 
Um, and if you have a passion, follow it. It doesn't, you don't, you don't have to leave your corporate job to start a side hustle. You can start the side hustle. You're still at the corporate job. If you want to get a corporate job and you're self-employed because you, and you hate being self-employed, there's no rule saying you can't do the thing that makes you happy. Well, Brianna, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.